Hey everybody, welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast that asks, is there such a thing as a good billionaire? This week we're taking a look at hedge fund billionaire Paul Singer. Hear all about his brilliant investment strategy, which involves using bankruptcy courts to go after companies and take their workers' pensions, and also use courts all around the world to go after countries that are in debt and take aid money and put it in his own pocket. This episode will be about how Paul Singer is a good billionaire. All that and more coming up on Grubstakers. I think we disproportionately stop whites too much. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens, and they used to beat up the little Jewish boys. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. already yeah hey everybody welcome back to grub stakers uh sean p mccarthy here as always joined by my friends andy palmer yogi Powell, steve jeffries and uh this week uh we got a, a special episode of uh for you about one mr paul singer uh and this is particularly relevant in the wake of uh donald trump president uh withdrawing from the iran deal as you might have heard on uh may 8th uh Trump made the decision to reimpose U.S. sanctions on Iran, uh, bring us that much closer to going to war with Iran. And there was an interesting article um, from Loblog.com, L-O-B-E-L-O-G.com. And they pointed out that there's three billionaires. Uh, Bob Loblog. <laughs> there's three billionaires in particular who really uh, have been big advocates and funders of this policy. They're the casino magnate Sheldon Adelson, the Home Depot uh, co-founder Bernard Marcus, and hedge fund billionaire Paul Singer. And mm -hmm. today we're going to be talking about Paul Singer, who is um, one of the most disgusting vultures I've ever done research on. Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting just like the way he uses the courts and the law and uh, the political process to um, take money out of the hands of starving people. You know, and it's just something where it's like it's not apparent on the surface what an evil bastard he is. I think what you're talking about is creating jobs. Um, A lot of billionaires, you know, steal off the backs of poor people. Paul just steals the backs. It's crazy. Um but yes, so uh, Paul Singer, in addition to being a, a complete vulture and a scumbag, and again, we're not the people to coin the term vulture capitalist or uh, a vulture uh, lender, but that's what lots of people call him. In fact, Samsung Corporation, in the midst of uh, attempting to derail an activist bid by him, uh, released a series of cartoons to their shareholders depicting him as a vulture with a large beak, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. he interpreted as an anti-Semitic attack on his nose. And uh, we would just like to say that uh, we would never want to uh, disrespect vultures by associating <laughs> them <laughs> beautiful birds <laughs> with yeah. the Jewish people. Um, anyways, but uh, but the point is, um, in addition to his uh, business practices, which we'll get into, Paul Singer donated more than a million dollars. to. He was initially a big opponent of Donald Trump. He spent millions trying to get Marco Rubio elected which shows his you know investing acumen that he, the thinks, Rube. he thinks this guy can fucking win but after that and he actually was an initial founder of the fusion gps doc you know the the p tapes or the 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 idea that 
the the research dossier against Trump. He was an initial initial founder of that, but since Trump's been elected, he's come around full circle. He donated more than a million dollars to Trump's inauguration committee. We still don't know where all that money went, uh, and he's he's been a booster of him since then. And he funds a lot of uh, radical pro-Israel organizations, including uh, the hawkish Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, uh, as well as um, uh, Birthright. He funds Birthright and the Jewish Institute for National Security Affairs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and in 2007, uh, according to The Nation... He's probably responsible for more hand jobs than any human <laughs> on Earth. Um, but just to give you an idea, uh, in 2007, uh, according to The Nation, Paul Singer said, quote, We think that it is necessary to do so in regard to bombing Iran, and soon... So that was a decade ago. So he must think it must be necessary to do it even sooner now. Um, but basically, Paul Singer is uh, an ardent um, person uh, who wants to go to war with Iran. And uh, now that, you know, uh, billionaires have uh, uh, such influence on our political process, you know, the, he is one of the people who is really lobbying for this war with Iran that uh, we're potentially looking at. So we thought it would be interesting to um, explore the man. And in honor of the nearly departed, uh, here is Senator John McCain. That old Beach Boy song, Bomb Iran. <laughs> Did you know that uh, uh, Singer was trained in uh, the piano, classical piano since age 10? So oh. he could probably play that song. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, so uh, just to kind of get into uh, uh, Paul Singer, we think uh, we're not really qualified to introduce him. Instead... Uh, the eminent Andrew Ross Sorkin at the New York Times Deal Book uh, did an interview with Paul Singer, and uh, we think the intro that he did really sums and make, him up. Make a note of the musical choices. Yes. We would just like you to uh, note the music that Paul Singer himself chooses to come out to. We're going to take a hard turn from, uh, from wearable devices and technology to uh, spend some time with one of the smartest investors out there uh, these days. It is a true pleasure and a rare opportunity to hear uh, from Paul Singer today uh, of Elliott uh, Management. Come on out here, Paul, if you could. <laughs> How are you? It's, that music seems very, you know, like you're coming into. I know you're an activist investor, but that that sounded like very kind of takeover uh, style music. Um, for those of you who don't know, All right. Paul Singer is his. When Sorkin says that, not even Paul Singer is amused. His face is just blank, like a like a Muppet being held by someone with a hangover. <laughs> I love I love this fucking kiss ass piece of shit Andrew Ross Sorkin like I know you're a brilliant investor like it was <laughs> such a stroke of Einstein genius to be like yeah when you take water out of hungry people uh, you actually get money <laughs> yeah so let's go into uh, why everything Andrew Ross Sorkin said is true <laughs> um, so. Paul Singer, uh, to give you a bit of background. Oh, and the song, for those who don't recognize, was Rage Against the Machine. Bulls on Parade. Right. Yeah. You know, because he's a bull, which, uh, you know, because the, the Wall Street thing. But anyways, the, the great irony is that Rage Against the... If you ever think culture, like music or comedy, changes anything, <laughs> all you need to know is that Paul Singer and Paul Ryan both love Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> that spent their entire career making music about how those people should be burned alive in front of their families. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Uh, so, you know, it's all art is co-opted. There's no point. Just I just want the audience to know we edited out 20 minutes of Sean talking about how our <laughs> podcast means nothing to nobody. So. <laughs> Um, all right, so uh, uh, the and my five-minute rant about people named Paul ruining music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul Singer uh, is notoriously concerned with privacy and security, so research on this episode was even harder than usual. Um, he he has a subsidiary through the Cayman Island. Well, well, I'll get into more of the business stuff, but just to give you a quick thing, according to Fortune magazine, employees at his firm, uh, Elliott uh, Management, his hedge fund. Uh, are not allowed to post photos of themselves anywhere on social media or whatever because he's obsessed with security. He doesn't want his um, employees being able to be found. And, you know, his, his so finding information about his children or his ex-wife or anything, it's it's all similar. The guy is obsessed with security. Yeah, and, wait, so it's your, it's your honeymoon, and you just have to say no <laughs> to every single picture <laughs> opportunity. Sorry, honey. I need I need this job where I uh, defraud the people of Peru <laughs> out of their rice rations. If, it, if I if I don't get on that plane and go to Peru, someone else will. <laughs> um, but so basically, the point is the uh, the research we've uh, collected for this um, episode will necessarily be incomplete, but we think it's pretty damning, and we think the stuff that's out there is even worse, and. Um, so I'll just give you a, a brief biography of Mr. Singer, and then we'll get into his business practices. But uh, so according to Forbes magazine, he's worth about $2.8 billion as of May 2018. Uh, he grew up in New Jersey. Um, he's one of three children. Uh, this is according to Fortune magazine. One of three children of a Manhattan pharmacist and a homemaker. Uh, he majored in psychology at the University of Rochester, graduated 66, uh, got a law degree from Harvard Law School in 69, 1969, and in 1974, uh, he landed a job working in the real estate division of an investment bank as an attorney. Uh, three years later, he leaves that job to launch Elliott Associates with, uh, and again, I'm quoting from Fortune, $1.3 million from, quote, friends and family. So uh, another beneficiary of Friends and play, Family LLC. Play the Friends and Family drop. <laughs> Do I have a Friends and Family drop? No, uh, we probably don't. Friends intro. <laughs> <laughs> I like how they call him, a, a, like Sorkin, Sorkin calls him a genius and this like savant investor. <laughs> you know, when he's like really he's just doing what any creditor would by like going to d incredibly distressed people and then extracting concessions from them on their debt. Yeah, you know, it really takes a real genius to be like, you know those things that are uh, keeping uh, people from uh, collecting debts from uh, one of the top ten starving nations in the world? Uh, oh, morals. Yes, we'll just <laughs> we'll just get rid of those and, and conscience That's the and, genius part. and scruples. Only Paul Singer had the strength of character to go to Argentina. Yeah. And Andrew Ross Sorgan, for the record, he writes... a. Uh, a decent blow-by-blow -blow history of um, the financial meltdown called Too Big to Fail. And I say it's decent in the sense that it gives it has a lot of interviews with players that were there, so it really kind of gives you the minute-by-minute. -minute. HBO made a movie about it. But I remember reading it where I was like, something is wrong here, because at no point does he talk about you know fraud or <laughs> any of these things. And it's just like, because this is a deal book New York Times reporter who fucking kisses the ass of these horrific people. And it's like, you know, again... Paul Singer is... They were, they were too bu busy uh, doing what's best for the 
uh, middle-class American to realize that some of their loans were not proper. (laughs) But it's just like, the thing is, like, when we talk about corporations like Citigroup, they're incredibly evil. But Paul Singer is the guy who, when Citigroup goes, okay, we will accept this restructured debt negotiation agreements, Paul Singer goes, no, no, this is not evil enough for me. Right. So, you know, it, it just really takes something else to to sit down for an interview with a guy like that and just butter him up. Um, but so anyways, just to uh, uh, finish the biography, he gets this $1.3 million, uh from friends and family. Uh, so 77. Uh, all right. Uh, so 77, he sets up uh, Elliott Associates, um, his hedge fund. Today... Uh, the, it's known as Elliott Management Corporation, uh, serves as the management affiliate of the hedge funds Elliott's Associate and Elliott International Limited, which are his two subsidiary hedge funds. And he also has like uh, some Cayman Islands affiliates where we'll talk about his more shady deals he does through the Cayman Islands to uh, avoid transparency. Um, he was uh, divorced in 96. We know he lives in the Boo. upper... <laughs> he doesn't value the sanctity of marriage. <laughs> and as we all know, whenever a billionaire's been divorced, we conclude that they don't eat the butt. So <laughs> let's not forget this. <laughs> he, um, uh, his what? Like, he got divorced. End of episode. <laughs> He's bad. <laughs> he got divorced about a day after his wife said, you know, I think Palestinians are human beings. <laughs> Uh, the next day, the house was just empty with a note that <laughs> divorce, divorce papers. Uh, um, so he was divorced in 96, lives on the Upper East Side. He has two sons, uh, one of whom is a, a gay man who was married in Massachusetts in 2009, which uh, makes Paul Singer uh, as a very pro-LGBT causes Republican, which has not stopped him from donating countless millions of dollars to the most horrifically anti-gay Republicans in the world. But... Uh, of course, he still has uh, his own little foundation, which is trying to find uh, pro-gay Republicans who want to, uh, you know, strip poor people of their meager Yeah, and inheritance. I also read that he was a big uh, proponent of gay marriage being legalized in New York as well. Oh, well. You he, know what? His son sounds cool, unless he has since gotten divorced. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted gay marriage to be legal, but only for David Geffen. <laughs> um. So anyway, so uh, he's, uh, we mentioned, an accomplished musician. He's been playing classical piano since uh, age 10. Uh, His favorite band is Led Zeppelin. These are just like factoids from the Fortune profile because, again, it's hard to find information about this guy. He once jammed on stage with Meatloaf. Uh, So, you know, that's that's really all we know. Oh, and his building, uh, I believe Jerry Seinfeld has a place there, as well as the actress Glenn Close. So uh, if you ever wanted to see the two most insufferable (laughs) Jewish people in their respective industries (laughs) meet one another and awkwardly avoid eye contact in the hallway, head to the Upper East Side. Oh, oh, hey, Paul, uh, what's the deal with Argentina? (laughs) What's the deal with the Republic of Congo? It's not democratic, and it's not a republic. (laughs) And as far as I can see, they don't do the Congo. Why do they call it food aid? It goes to Paul Singer instead. (laughs) 
but anyways, oh yeah, and so uh, Elliott uh, Management Corporation uh, has about thirty-four billion uh, under asset assets under management today. It's a huge hedge fund, and uh, we mentioned a bit on the Bill Ackman episode where most hedge funds are in a downturn. It's also in a bit of a downturn, but it's still beating other hedge funds. And again. We're really about to get into how they have done that, and it's kind of sickening, but I guess it is really the logical conclusion. Um, so we mentioned Paul Singer is a lawyer, and in the, in the course of my research, somebody made the, a good point, which is essentially that he's not really a good investor. He's just a lawyer who realized that he could use the courts uh, as a creditor to force people to repay him. Right. And so uh, I just want to quote a bit uh, from the investigative journal- journalist Greg Pallast, who I'm very reliant on for some of the research in this episode. Um, so basically, they're saying that uh, he, he makes the point that Singer's modus operandi is to find a forgotten tiny debt owed by a very poor nation, such as Peru or the Republic of Congo. Uh, he qu- and I'm quoting here. He waits for the U.S. and European taxpayers to forgive the poor nation's debts, then waits a bit longer for offers of food aid, medicine, and investment loans. Then Singer pounces, legally grabbing at every resource and all the money going to the desperate countries. Trade stops, funds freeze, and the entire economy is effectively <laughs> held hostage. So basically, yeah, that is what the vulture debt strategy is. He buys up these um, debts of very for- poor countries, usually on the secondary market, and then just goes to every single courtroom he can find around the world and sues to try and claim some food aid or other repayment and say, hey, I own the debt. I am first in line as a creditor. You know, it's disgusting, and uh, multiple people have said that Paul Singer literally kills babies. Which, again, sounds like hyperbole, but no, he literally kills babies. Hyperbole. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's hyperbole. I think that's... Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, okay. yes, precisely. It's like, I got a hyperbole when I was back at the legal cannabis shop in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely one you can't blame on your Irish dad. <laughs> The the thing is, when you hit a hyperbole, nobody believes how high you are. <laughs> no matter how you try to describe it. They're like, no, you're exaggerating how high you are right now. You're like, no, it's a hyperbole. So wait, um, so how is he killing these babies, Sean? Well, so we'll get through like a few of the nations that he's done this with. But like we mentioned the Congo, it has... Uh, well, I guess I'll get into the Congo later, but in the case of like the Congo, um, during a cholera epidemic, he basically sued uh, 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 in a Belgian court to try and stop uh, aid repayment uh, that would have allowed them to maybe install clean water. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, but I'll get into the Congo later. Well, his business is kind of referred to as like he specializes in distressed debt restructuring, but mm-hmm. he's more like he's like waiting to pounce on that sovereign debt and then just restructuring the country That's so that they're crazy. able to repay him first right so like he's literally like hey you guys are fucking up and how you owe money in aid and i'm gonna take advantage of that yeah well yeah i mean because it's like as long as he's a creditor and as long as he refuses to come to terms he can say that as a creditor i should have first right to any money going into this country and again we'll get into it like in the case of argentina where he literally went to a port in another nation and got a judge to let him seize one of their ships like their navy's ships to try and get repayment wow um but again, uh, we're kind of jumping ahead here because I do want to talk about how um, what really made him. Yeah, no, mo- billionaires don't have power <laughs> in the same way governments do. It's not like they can seize a navy ship. <laughs> it was later returned to Argentina. 
<laughs> after it began like shelling some journalists looking into him. <laughs> it was on the A and E reality show Repo Navy Ship. <laughs> 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 I like the idea of Dog the Bounty Hunter like breaking into a Navy <laughs> ship, <laughs> bringing it back to Paul Singer. <laughs> I'm the dog. That'd now. be a good uh, spin off your your Argentinian battle cruiser into a, a reality TV show. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see like billionaire storage wars where it's just like a bunch of billionaire or they like crack open the books for some country Andy, defaulting Andy, on their debt, and someone's like, "That would never happen because billionaires don't go broke." No, 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 it's not, they're, they're bidding on, like, you know, a country's book, and they're like, oh, oh, that one's got pensions, okay, five billion, <laughs> you know. Right, um, so anyways, uh, uh, I did want to talk about how essentially this strategy um, that Paul Singer employs is a recent phenomenon, it's not inherent in, you know, whatever system, uh, and there's a, a law on many books against this for the longest time called uh, Champerty. Webster's Dictionary defines champerty. I, I did look this up. So champerty is a, an illegal agreement in which a person with no previous interest in a lawsuit finances it with a view to sharing the disputed property if the suit succeeds. And again, this is what Paul Singer does uh, both with corporations and with these distressed nations where he has no interest in these bonds until the country defaults. Then he like buys them up on the secondary market for cheap and then just wages a... Uh, never-ending lawsuit to get his payout and throw wrenches in the works of whatever aid restructuring process until he's made whole. And so this really started for him in 1995 when Elliott uh, Management, his hedge fund, purchased about $2.87 billion of Panama's debt for, a bit, think, about $17.5 billion. <laughs> um, but so basically... When Panama tried to restructure that debt, vast majority of the bondholders agreed, except for uh, Elliott Management. In 96 of July, they filed a suit against Panama in a New York court uh, demanding repayment in full. Uh, eventually, the New York Supreme Court sided with Elliott Management, and Foreign Policy magazine called it a, quote, groundbreaking moment in modern finance. Uh, because sovereign governments before this point were generally uh, not sued uh, in regular courts that were supposed to deal with internal issues to a nation. And so this kind of like lawsuit shopping practice became their real bread and butter for the 90s and 2000s. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Eventually, he got almost $50 out of that, thanks to the New York Supreme Court. And uh, also, judging by his like love for ACDC, you know he jammed out to that the whole time he was suing them. Um, but so basically, uh, with the um, with the statute in place from uh, Panama, he moves on to Peru, and Peru's an interesting case because uh, he. Uh, I'm I'm quoting from Fortune here. Uh, in '96, he buys defaulted Peruvian debt. Uh, he explained the firm's position, saying, quote, Peru would either pay us in full or be sued, end quote. Um, and so what happened was Peru argued against that under the what I mentioned above, the Champerty Laws, uh, which, as we mentioned, don't allow an investor to buy a claim with the sole purpose of uh, bringing suit. But what happened was uh, a, a U.S. lower court sided with Peru in 98, but the ruling and the definition of champerty was later overturned in 2000. Uh, in 2000, he was awarded about $58 million, uh, 
and he later lobbied successfully for the, I'm quoting from Fortune magazine here, uh, he later lobbied successfully for the repeal of the state of New York's Champerty statue and then donated, uh, I think, uh, 1500 um, uh 2500 to New York State Assembly member Susan John uh, for helping uh, get rid of the Champerty statue and also changing uh, an obscure law in New York governing compound interest, which increased his payout from the Peru thing. So the guy really has his tentacles in Albany as well as other places. Um, so this thing where it's it's possible to uh, for a private investor to sue sovereign nations, that's is that a um, side effect of trade agreements essentially um i think it's just uh yeah i mean i think it's partly a consequence of globalization but i think it's also just a, a consequence of activist judicial rulings because it was entirely what really set this thing off was the uh judge and the new york supreme court eventually saying that he had standing to sue panama in a new york court, in a new york court and, um, you know, since that time, he's shopped lawsuits all over the place. And uh, the United Kingdom in 2010 passed a law saying that uh, these kind of uh, lawsuits are not valid. Uh, but the United States has threatened to do such a thing, but has not. So he can still use U.S. courts to sue, which is what he did in the case of Argentina. And um, it's so it's not recognized by Argentina. Right. Argentina refused to pay. They don't but... consider him an interested party, I guess, right. other yeah. than the fact that he bought up all this debt right Mike before. Holter. Okay. Mike a little Sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and it's interesting because, like, he was lobbying back in 2012 to try and, like, get the U.S. to, like, cut off trade or sanction Argentina <laughs> until he was made whole, which is why he was a big booster of Mitt Romney because the idea was Romney would help him do that, which, of course, uh, one of Paul Singer's associates was Romney's foreign policy advisor, so... You know, you can imagine. That's another uh, thing about Singer I hate is he's really bad at picking political people <laughs> to support. Romney, Rubio, like, you know, for as much of a genius as people consider him to be, he kind of sucks at knowing who's going to lead the country next. Well, to be fair, his opponent was Obama. So. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, but he can do against that. I do just want to return to the Peru case because the Peru has a fun little anecdote. So basically, Peru's president from 1990 to 2000, while um, Singer was dealing with him, was a guy named Alberto Fujimori. Uh, he has been, as of 2009, sentenced to 25 years in prison what? by a court in Peru uh, because of kidnapping and murders carried out by a death squad of the Army Intelligence Service known as the Colina Group uh, in their campaign against leftist guerrillas in the 1990s. Not Alberto. So, so basically, uh, the story of how Paul Singer got paid by Peru is that uh, he let Fujimori, uh, when Fujimori was fleeing the country in 2000, one of his last acts as president was ordering the, pre the treasury to pay Paul Singer $58 million, uh, because Singer had seized Peru's Air Force One presidential jet. So in exchange for uh, this criminal murderer and kidnapper paying off Paul Singer, he allowed him, he literally gave him the keys to this plane that allowed him to flee the country and evade justice for nine years. <laughs> that was way loud. Um, but yeah. You know. What was that dude's name again? Alberto what? Uh, Fujimori. Wow, yeah. what a name. Yeah. No wonder that. Japanese. Yeah, I think he was actually. Uh, no, Peru has sorry, Peru has a uh, like big Japanese ethnic group. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. I think he was extradited from Japan, if memory serves. 
But uh, yeah, you know, killing in the name of. Uh, but so anyways, you know, those are just the kind of shady things he does. And, um, and we should, I guess, mention the Republic of Congo as well, because he goes from Panama to Peru to the Republic of Congo. Really a world tour of corruption. (laughs) (laughs) You want people killed for money? Uh, you, uh, you follow Elliot management. One thing I'll also mention about Paul Singer, that's kind of genius because his name is Paul Singer. Mm. When you try and Google him. It just shows up a whole bunch of singers named Paul. <laughs> like, constantly I was finding things about Paul Simon and Paul Anka, and I'm like, I'm not trying to find out about these people. I'm trying to find out this fucking billionaire. Yeah, but so, like, um, defenders of uh, Paul Singer's practices, such as his Wikipedia page, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Wikipedia page for Elliot Management argues that they, quote, unquote, exposed corruption in the Congo <laughs> through their practices. Of course they do. And, uh, By doing it. Yeah, I know. And I do just want to go through the Congo, because, like, you know, the previous stories, uh, I'm sorry if these dragged it all, but... The Congo thing is just so horrifyingly mind-bending to me. But So basically, um, and I didn't know this before today, the Republic of Congo and the Democratic Republic of Congo are two different countries. And if you want to know the difference, the Democratic Republic of Congo is the one where Belgium committed a genocide. Oh. And the Republic of Congo is the one where France committed a genocide. Oh. So it's important you not mix up those two <laughs> uh, massive colonial human rights abuses. Um, but so basically... Uh, is there a centrist Congo where the genocide was done by the British? <laughs> the centrist Congo where they just had like too many babies. <laughs> uh, so it was a respectable genocide. <laughs> they cared about decorum. I think the, uh, the respectable genocide is the one uh, Paul Singer founds in Israel. <laughs> funds in Israel. All right. Anyway, so uh, there's a great article on this in The Nation. But so basically, um, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, the Congo, uh, Republic of Congo, has had three civil wars since 1993 uh, with, quote, 70% of the population under the poverty line. Uh, In the late 90s, Elliot, through a a variety of shadowy subsidiaries, uh, one of which uh, I believe Kennington came out with the, yeah, Kensington, excuse me, is a Cayman Islands subsidiary of Elliot Capital Management. So they just run these transactions through the Cayman Islands to avoid uh, disclosure. Um, Basically, in the late 90s, they bought about $100 million of defaulted Congolese debt for roughly 7 to 10 cents on the dollar, uh, um, according to the nation. Um, basically, uh, and this is a country that uh, twice ranked in the top 10 of the World Food Program's list of hunger crises. Wow. And uh, again, quoting from The Nation, Kensington has filed at least 15 separate lawsuits against Congo and its business partners in places ranging from the British Virgin Islands to Hong Kong to the United States. Uh, they even filed a lawsuit in Brussels against the Belgian government to confiscate a 10 million euro foreign aid payment from Belgium to Congo. Um, and, of course, this is how you expose corruption in the government. <laughs> right. um, and, again, uh, our good friend Greg Palace makes the point that uh, these actions took place in the middle of a cholera epidemic in uh, West Africa. Um, uh, he's been seizing. Uh, like, so it, the, it's up to about $400 million that he was able to squeeze out of this desperately poor nation. Um, how, by, much? how much? Uh, almost $400 million. Wow. And again, you know, one of the poorest nations on earth, 70% below the poverty line, uh, a top 10 world hunger crisis nation where people are literally starving to death. 
and he just goes around from court to court and just mucks up the works and just says, no, you cannot give aid here because we are a creditor and we are owed first. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of ridiculous. So it's literally cutting in line for your take when the take being given out is for people to finally have food, basically. It's like the scene from that movie where, like, please, sir, can I have more porridge? And a guy would be like, huh, buddy, I got a membership here. Let me, uh, let me cut in line. Let me get my porridge <laughs> first. Bread. Yeah, right, right, right. That's fucking nuts. Well, I think what he was doing is exposing the corruption in the Congolese government. <laughs> you know, when when people uh, can't access water without cholera in it, <laughs> they really start thinking about the corruption of their government. Well, he's in a palatial Upper East Side mansion. But is that the defense, though? Is the defense? That's, I mean, on the yeah. Wikipedia page, like, literally, if you go to Elliott Management's Wikipedia page, it says, and in the uh, late 90s, Elliott Management exposed corruption in the wow. Congo. <laughs> That's um, fucking s- disgusting. Yeah, so just like... Uh, also, there was a human gorilla hybrid army that was defending a diamond mine mm. uh, in the Congo. Did oh, he expose was... corruption in that, too? Uh, yes, <laughs> By but... By funding it. Uh, they had a big fight. And I think it was a straight to uh, TV Michael Crichton movie. What, what year is it? Um, it was the late '90s that he bought up this debt. Uh, but so, like, he he spent a long time in court in this. But like, just in November 2005, as Bloomberg reported, uh, the UK a court, the UK's High Court, ruled that uh, the the company should be paid uh, for two consignments of Congolese oil rather than pay a Congolese government controlled company. So basically, I think that was 30 yeah, it was 39 million they got out of this in 2005. So it's just kind of like a drip drip, but did, did you say they made 400 million? They, I think they were awarded like 375 million by a US court. And Man. again, like these numbers are, are hard to verify, but um So wait, how? but he bought up about 10 million dollars of debt. It was like he bought 100 million of debt. At about ten cents on the dollars, according to the nation. Oh, that's where and he I, made. The, that's where he got that three thousand percent return. Right. Yes. Because buying it for right ten cents on the dollar, yeah. and then the other thing they'll do is they'll demand interest payments and uh, court costs, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like the longer it takes to repay, the more they're able to kind of like so, compound this. The uh, Democratic Republic of Condos, combos, Congo, is uh, GDP. Well, no, around that is, time. Well, this is the Republic of Congo. Republic of Congo. Not oh. the Democratic Republic. There's a huge difference. Edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so this guy's basically flipping countries, but instead of flipping them for a profit, he's just flipping them into the ground? <laughs> yeah, basically. Wow. Um, but it's just funny, like, uh, two, uh, <laughs> two diplomats uh, that Greg Pallast interviewed, or at least... Uh, Basically, they gave the quote. He asked them if you could say anything to um, Paul Singer. What would you say? And one of them, a, a Congolese diplomat, said, "You are literally killing babies." <laughs> uh, Where is that drop? How did we not get that? Well, unfortunately, he didn't say it into so a microphone. Was, oh, I just looked at the GDP of of Congo. Yeah, and it looks like he was all in. He was awarded about like nine percent of their GDP. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Uh, it's like almost a ten percent stake in one year's worth of their product. Right, that's fucking insane. And we should yeah, mention- billionaires earn their money. <laughs> um, we should mention no, but he's an activist for gay rights, guys. We shouldn't right. pick on him. Yeah, exposing corruption. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Incredible that's right. bounty, and some to return home. She doesn't really belong anywhere, does she? 
What the fuck was that? <laughs> it's a trailer for the Congo. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what oh. the fuck is Andy doing? <laughs> you know, that, that reference that all of our listeners will get. The 1995 hit Smash based on Michael Crichton novel. <laughs> The Congo. I was gonna edit in like a like I think because it's in the well I've got to edit this part out as well. But in Planet of the Apes, one of them is named Congo or something. But I was gonna put in a very African guy going Congo anytime Sean McCarthy. <laughs> <in Congo. laughs> um, no, but, but this movie stars Tim Curry. Oh, I mean, how can you know? You know what? You know what we should do? He's like grabbing like this rice bowl out of this child's hand. No, this belongs to Paul Singer. Nine <laughs> percent <laughs> of it belongs to Paul. <laughs> But he's also in drag. <laughs> uh, we should have Congo night where we all yell at the movie Congo. Uh, that makes Rocky no Horror. Sense. I know. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Man. Sorry, I cut you down so quick. Turn it into a cult phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. But um, oh yeah, so Paul Singer, like his quote, he actually was quoted in the Nation uh, responding to this article where he said, "I'm paraphrasing." But essentially, like, uh, we only go after nations that we know can repay. And, you know, a lot of these attacks on us in the press are uh, debtors who are trying to engage in populist rhetoric <laughs> to make uh, to avoid paying their bills, you know. And again, like, as, uh, his other defense is, of course, there is corruption in the government of the Congo. He is correct about that. But again, one of the poorest nations on Earth, and you are sucking money out through a process that was illegal until the 1990s. Right. Because you are a vulture scumbag. You are not an investor. You just have a law degree from Harvard, and you worked at a law firm, and you figured, oh, I can use the courts to collect on debts by just refusing to take a haircut and negotiate a settlement ever. He, um, was, he took a strategy that he was using on small companies right, earlier yes. in his career, and he was like, what if I did the same thing but with countries? Yeah, right. And he doesn't need a haircut because he's bald. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Thread. <laughs> but he is a leech. I mean, the reality is the motherfucker is a blood-sucking parasite. Mm. He's also another one, when we speak about parasites, hard to do research without stumbling into some uh, rather unsavory corners of the internet. I don't know what you're talking about, Sean. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. But, uh, it's anti-nothing. I don't, I, don't see what, I don't see what you're getting at. We were doing some of the research for the Panama thing, and I was like, wow, this website has a lot of uh, good information. And they keep saying this is characteristic of the Jewish mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I shouldn't be here, should I? And one of the things with like researching billionaires is you have to double check the website you're yes. on, like make sure there's go- not a giant star of David, yeah, <laughs> with a, on fire. A lot of in private tabs. Hey, uh, stay tuned for our Rothschilds episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be like twenty percent real information <laughs> and eighty percent Mark Zuckerberg is a Rothschild, <laughs> and. Uh, Bill Still talking about the money changers. Oh, yeah. Conservative activist Bill Still. Well, this is a tangent, but uh, Bill Still is kind of like one of those crazy right-wing, um, you know, audit the Fed guys. But he's also actually not a gold bug. He believes the Treasury should print money as they did in the Civil War. And as an economics BA, I cannot help but respect and admire <laughs> that, that he is not a gold bug. He wants fiat currency. I've, from the treasury. I found out about this guy uh, from, there's a Reddit, subreddit on uh, documentaries. And someone was like, this three hour documentary takes down the Federal Reserve. <laughs> and it, it was like upvoted to like the very top. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a watch. And I start watching. It's this nerd ass guy with giant glasses in the 90s. And he's like, 
and Jesus opposed the money changers back then. And then he just keeps saying money changers throughout the documentary. And each time you're like, man, he really wants to say Jews. Uh, yeah, and Bill still will also, he still does YouTube videos, and he'll say, I'm still reporting from the free speech capital, <laughs> the one-time free speech capital of the world. <laughs> and then he'll do, like, ads for, like, shit only old people need, like, <laughs> medicine for when you fall down and your grandchildren don't love you anymore. Um, oh, but so, uh, we mentioned Kensington International. Uh, the, Plug it in for both of those. Uh, I forget if I mentioned earlier, but basically it was only because of the Paradise Papers that we know that Paul Singer set up this uh, Kensington International subsidiary. So it's just kind of ironic because he complains about corruption and lack of transparency when his entire way of operating is through Cayman Island affiliates right. that avoid any transparency. And what and this is partly what makes it so hard to piece together because his profits are entirely based, as we mentioned, in the case of Congo, he sued them in fi- at least 15 different jurisdictions. It's entirely based on lawsuit shopping. And we mentioned in 2005... uh, Shopping! The UK High Court ruled in his favor, but since then in 2010, the UK has passed a law that does away with that, but he's still able to sue them in the US courts, uh, other nations, such as Argentina, which we should mention briefly here. You can't be stopping how Paul Singer be shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Singer be lawsuit shopping? (laughs) Uh, Y'all ever noticed <laughs> billionaires be shopping for lawsuits? All right, so yeah, so what happened with Argentina was they defaulted in 2002 on their debt. At which point he uh, uh, purchased. Oh no, he purchased their debt uh, almost a billion in uh, 2001. Um, and then started lawsuit shopping there. And we mentioned the ship in 2012. Uh, is according to the website conservativetransparency.org, he got a court in Ghana to detain an Argentinian naval vessel while it was in the while it was in port in Ghana in Tima. Um, he also attempted to seize the Argentinian presidential airplane while it was in the U.S. Uh, gone after personal assets of Argentine politicians. Um, both he, of a, both of which uh, are, are relics from Nazi Germany. <laughs> I love this uh, the the anecdote. He threatened to seize the display Argentina was preparing at the Frankfurt Book Fair, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. Like it's a homecoming display, just like four hundred dollars worth of Malcolm Gladwell books. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, this will make me whole. Um, but yeah, and so he set up like a task force, uh, which was, and he lobbed. He got like I think twelve conservative House members to sign off on a letter to the Obama presidency, being like. You got to uh, blockade Argentina until they pay up to Paul Singer, <laughs> you know. So it's like this guy essentially is not an investor. He just uses the political process and the courts to make his capital multiply. Um, Man, he must have loved Thatcher. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, sorry, Yogi Steve. Anything else on Argentina? I was going to say he. Um, I remember him comparing the Ar- like his a lot of his rhetoric was comparing Argentina to like past cases of like of defaulted sovereign debt from like Weimar Germany mm. or he's obsessed with Weimar or, Germany yeah or Greek debt or Zimbabwe mm-hmm. or like examples of countries that were facing either like a huge shortfall in their productive capacity mm-hmm. or like Argentina had debts denominated in uh money that they don't have they didn't have monetary sovereign authority to print mm-hmm. 
And so it was kind of like in the Argentina thing, it became, we mentioned, it became a campaign issue in 2012 where he basically had Romney completely on his side to go after Argentina, whereas Obama was more hesitant because, as we mentioned, most of Argentina's other creditors had settled with them at this point. So Paul Singer was just kind of being the asshole. Um, but I think in two, uh, but various U.S. courts awarded him his money from Argentina, and in 2015 they came to a settlement. Um, but it was just kind of a ridiculous issue where, again, this practice was illegal until the 90s, and it was entirely a bought-and-paid-for operation where he just got the courts and the political system to uh, support his claims to sovereign debt. That You know what Romney had to say about the, uh, uh, the situation in Argentina? No, what did he say? Who let the dogs out? Who? Who? <laughs> 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 a little short in that. So one of the things that's been that I found very disgusting about the Argentina situation is not only uh, what Paul Singer did, but the reporting of it from uh, business uh, periodicals. Is that what it's called? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, they all kiss his ass. Uh, but like you know, this one, San Diego Free Press, uh, hedge fund billionaire Paul Singer makes Argentina cry for itself. Uh, <laughs> Paul Singer versus Argentina: A thriller reaches its climax. You know. It's all very like Argentina find relentless foe in Paul Singer's head. Like, you know, they treat the way Paul Singer acted as a win. And it's sad because it's like, you know, sure, he made money off of their pain, but that's not a win. That's more like, a, hey, the world is a shittier place now. What, what about Paul Singer's con? Good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. I got one. I got one. Who let the dogs out? Paul Singer makes it rain, but not the mu- the water they desperately need in the Congo, suffering from a cholera epidemic that has killed thousands. Singer's also been a regular attendee of the Coke Bros, who we'll do a special episode about next uh, weekend. But um, they're all special. But this will be an extra special one. Uh, but anyway, so he's a big supporter of the Koch Bros organizations, and the Koch brothers have had these uh, twice annual summits since 2003 where they get like uh, many different billionaires from ar- and million- multimillionaires from around the country together to um, uh, pool funds for um, astroturfed uh, anti-tax campaigns and these sorts of things, like the Cato, uh, think tanks like the Cato Institute, the Heritage Foundation, American Enterprise Institute, etc., um, so Paul Singer has been a big contributor to that. He supported a lot of conservative causes. And it's like maybe he believes this stuff, maybe he doesn't, but it also directly benefits his pocketbook. So it makes sense that as an investor, if you're investing in political shit, you will invest in the rhetoric and think tanks that would directly increase your profits at the expense of others uh, with your political investments. And uh, just – on the uh, plate of the 99%, this is from the same Fortune profile, Paul Singer said, quote, Resentment is not morally superior to earning money. What is a moral failing, according to him, is, quote, depreciation in paper money's value. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, you know, we got to make that sure. Was, um, well, that was John Stuart Mills, It's really right? a rallying cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the next Occupy Wall Street. Mo- <laughs> yeah, it's, you're going to try it. They're going to have a libertarian Occupy. <laughs> Depreciation in paper money's value is the real moral failing. <laughs> Mike, not check. evictions. Mike, check. Mike, check. Mike, check. We should not. We should not <laughs> depreciate value. Depreciate value. <laughs> 
the expensive lenders. Oh, God. Um, anyway, so uh, I guess we talked a bit about his foreign subsidiaries. We should talk a bit about some of his actions in the United States. Uh, I do just want to talk about two companies in particular. Uh, the first is called Owens Corning, and Owens Corning was um, a manufacturer of aluminum and other things uh, that operated since, I think, 55, 1955 in the United States. Um, but basically, they exposed lots of their workers to asbestos knowingly, and so they were sued starting in the 70s for asbestos exposure, um, and they filed bankruptcy in 2000 because of these asbestos lawsuits. Sounds Paul- like they're keeping their workers warm. <laughs> <laughs> the um your honor it was cold <laughs> instead of buying blankets we figured just put asbestos all over the place <laughs> asbestos is a uh, mexican porno <laughs> 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 oh, it's staying in uh, <laughs> this is our worst episode <laughs> i'm sorry ladies and gentlemen it was hard to research paul singer okay um, but anyway, so Owens Corning filed... This is absolutely fucking stupid. <laughs> David Harvey, nice. Yeah, yeah. Owens Corning files bankruptcy in 2000, um, and the agreement they enter into is that all profits from that point on are supposed to be paid to sick workers um, while they're winding down in bankruptcy. Um, instead, Paul Singer buys them in bankruptcy and launches an attack on the dying workers. Um, so basically, uh, uh, and again, I uh, owe the research here to uh, Greg Palast as well as uh, Business Korea wrote about this briefly. In January 2005, uh, President George W. Bush had a televised meeting to promote a, quote, expert who pronounced that over half a million workers suing uh, the industry were liars. If workers couldn't breathe, he said to the grinning president. It wasn't the fault of asbestos. Wow. Um, And again, sorry, this is a quote from Greg Powell's. The expert was not a doctor, but his research was partly funded by Paul Singer, and so was Bush. Uh, Since the death of Enron's Ken Lay, Singer and his vulture flock at Elliott International had become the top contributors to the Republican National Committee. And uh, he wrote that as of 2012. Um... So anyways, the point here is uh, they set up this campaign on a multi-front, and also this was part of uh, Bush's uh, push for so-called tort reform. And the idea is to make it harder for com- for workers, among others, to sue companies for knowingly exposing them to asbestos and killing them. Um, and eventually, this and other tactics allowed him to strong-arm the workers it, into, instead of taking all of the future profits, he got them to only take 20% of the profits. Again, a billionaire, one of the richest people in the world, with his uh, $32 billion in assets hedge fund going after poor workers who are dying and don't have jobs anymore because their company is bankrupt, and strong-arming them into signing these agreements for you know peanuts because they are desperate for money and they need to survive. And, of course, they pocket 20 cents on the dollar. Uh, Paul Singer pockets 80 cents on the dollar. And this is how this fucking monster makes his money. And this is who Andrew Ross Sorkin thinks is a brilliant investor, figuring out how to separate, you know, dying asbestos patients from their last little paycheck of, uh, you know, cash out from their settlement. Now, now here's a bailout in America we can all get behind. Homeless people have change. Let's take the change from them, okay? <laughs> Let's make a change to take change. Take, take the change you want to see. 
Yogi, you are a brilliant investor. Thank you. That's what I've been saying all along. Play Bulls on Parade when I walk into the room. <laughs> this is this is the, this is going to be our our Paul Singer strategy. Is we uh, slip in the puddles of urine made by homeless people, <laughs> and then s- shop around to different jurisdictions to eventually fund lawsuits against them. Yeah, the uh, the nation of Ghana has awarded me a two million dollar judgment <laughs> against you, crackhead Eric. <laughs> and it's crazy how like you know you would presume that if you did no, something... this box is mine. <laughs> I have been awarded it in a summary judgment. I will be taking your box and your soup cans. <laughs> Give Sing- me those shoes. The singer do this for like really small fry stuff, like a pin at a bank or something. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. He impounds it. Um, but yeah, so the end of that Corning story is uh, he flipped Corning uh, according to business career, selling it for a near billion dollar profit. And again, this is just destroying uh, livelihoods of dying people, uh, what he does best. And then um, we should uh, mention Delphi as well was another U.S. company. Um, it was part of the big auto bailout Obama engaged in. Um, Stephen, yeah. are you able to talk about that a bit? Yeah, so in 2009, with the auto ba- the at the height of the financial crisis almost there's an auto bailout of gm and chrysler mm-hmm. and singer noticed that um well preempting this bailout he looked into a company called delphi automotive mm-hmm. and they happen to be like a really the maker of auto parts critical for both companies mm-hmm. and they're they ended up let's see they go bankrupt yeah, they went bankrupt, but basically the Treasury was trying to do a um, structured deal with them, uh, if, if I read that right. But uh, that um, Singer and another a couple other hedge funds reject it, because the original deal that the Treasury set up would have saved uh, 15 of, um, this is according to Hedge Clippers, uh, the website that tracks hedge funds. Uh, the original deal the Treasury Department tried to set up would have saved 15 of 29 of the Delphi plants and, uh, quote, countless jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, instead, uh, all but four of the factories were closed. Um, and basically, the, the hedge funds were, by holding out and refusing to play ball, able to extract additional compensation, shutter additional plants, which means you know payroll layoffs, which means more money in their pockets. Because right. the major cost that these hedge funds try and cut when they go in for buyouts is cut payroll, uh, particularly pensions. Um, so this I, is like much like uh, the Peru case. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot like the Peru case, except just with one U.S. company. Mm-hmm. They happen to be strategically incredibly important to two companies that are getting bailed out by the mm-hmm. U.S. Yeah. And in the case with pension cuts, what that means, um, essentially, in, in sort of plain, um, I want to say plain English, but it it's essentially means that these workers have paid into their pension mm-hmm. their entire working career, and then uh, government finds itself low on money, Paul Singer sues them, and what the government does is then, like, as the result, they have to turn over pensions. So they basically take money that people have been paying in their whole working career to pay Paul Singer. Oh, of course. And I, you know, I mentioned on a previous. Paul Singer's been w- working his whole career to get to that, <laughs> to get to that moment. So. Uh, the brilliant investment strategy of uh, separating retirees from their pensions <laughs> and putting it into your fucking meatloaf playing with ass pockets instead. Um, but so I mentioned my father on a previous... Whoa, 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 whoa. He's played with meatloaf? Yeah. Guys, I, I think he's pretty cool. <laughs> 
Did you know that if you have a billion dollars, people rarely tell you no? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Meatloaf, I'll give you a, a million dollars to pretend like I have any business think, belonging on a stage with you. I think he just bought Meatloaf's debt, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he did a structured buyout of Meatloaf. <laughs> Um, but so a couple. I'm sorry, but this Peruvian court uh, ordered you to let me shred on your stage. <laughs> I've never even been to Peru. That's, that's what their court said, man. I'm sorry. So according to the British Virgin Islands, you will be opening for me tonight. <laughs> Found a sympathetic judge over there. <laughs> Okay, so anyways, it was uh, like a, a judge whose girlfriend was once like once cheated on him with meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> well, so and that was the thing we mentioned a bit about the New York courts. Uh, according to um, uh, Greg Palast, they basically found a Reagan appointee who was or no a Nixon appointee judge in New York who was like eighty seven, I think, and on the verge of death. And basically shopped their lawsuit around. I, I, this was either for Argentina or Peru, um, but they basically shopped their lawsuit to him because they knew, like, we don't know if any money or favors were exchanged, but they knew he would be sympathetic. So again, lawsuit shopping—that's the way it works. You can find judges and you can corrupt them. And, and when we talk about the Koch brothers episode, and this is available to all Americans. Um, yeah, it's in yes, it's in most malls you'll go to. Yeah, <laughs> there'll be a small debt restructuring shop. Uh, you can, you know, justice is blind. You know, everyone, every American has the right to shop their lawsuits to Hong Kong and the British Virgin oh, yeah. Islands until we'll they get, get into, uh, a this sympathetic pathetic hearing we'll get into this on another episode uh the decline of malls in america <laughs> one of their biggest tenants what did you say uh but yeah so to circle back to delphi we mentioned the pensions and in a previous episode i mentioned my dad worked for the airlines i didn't specify he was a baggage handler he loaded baggage he cleaned the planes for takeoff and because he was a member of the teamsters union you know in the 70s that was a good middle class job in america and he got to travel the world mostly for free and he got a pension but what happened after 9-11 is a lot of these airlines did these bankruptcy proceedings so the other thing that I mean, what Paul Singer really does is uses the court bankruptcy proceeding profit process to make profits. And my father's pension was slashed when U.S. Airways went declared bankruptcy, slashed pensions. Of course, the executives still got paid out, and the uh, hedge funds and et cetera got their payout. And the exact same thing happened here with uh, Delphi. Again, to quote from Hedge Clippers, Delphi's 20,000 retirees lost up to, quote, 70% of their pensions. An estimated 8,500 workers lost their jobs nationwide. Uh, and uh, I just want to quote one other person, uh, Dan Loeb. He's another billionaire. We'll do a future episode of, on him. He, he has a hedge fund as well, but he was part of this deal with Paul Singer, and he boasted that, quote, virtually no North American unionized labor remained after the hedge funds rampaged through uh, the company. So, you know, destroying unions, baby. That's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what if Rage Against the Machine comes out and we're like, yeah, we wrote that song about how unions are bad. <laughs> See, the bulls are the hedge funds, <laughs> and the unions are the, the machine. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, uh, anything else on Delphi before we move on from that? The, let's see. Obama, hired, like his, the person he hired to actually form, like oversee the restructuring campaign with the bailout mm -hmm. was himself a hedge fund manager. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, Steve Ratner. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like... Uh, it's kind of an interesting point where 
the entire reason that Obama got into conflict with Paul Singer over the Argentina issue is that, as we mentioned, banks like Citi and stuff had settled with Argentina and they couldn't collect until excuse me, uh, enough bondholders agreed to go along. And because Paul Singer wouldn't go along, Citi and these other major banks couldn't get their payout. So they lobbied the Obama administration to be like, hey, force this guy to take his payout, whereas Singer lobbied Romney to be like, no, let's embargo Argentina and get me my my big payout. You know what I got to say, though, uh, that I respect about Delphi and Mm. its... um, is in in ancient Greece before going to war, mm-hmm. uh, a country <laughs> would consult with the Oracle of Delphi, and uh, you know they would get guidance on whether or not they should go to war. That's right. And uh, now, before we go to war, we consult with the Delphi Hedge Fund <laughs> <laughs> to see whether or not it's going to have good returns on. History repeats itself. Yeah, and that's yeah. The, the reality: is that history is always happening. So uh, Obama, so this guy Obama hired Stephen Radner in his memoir, like years later, uh, he described like a closed door meeting in March 2009, right in the middle of these deliberations to resolve Delphi's fate, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I'm quoting from uh, a Nation article. Um, he writes that Delphi, now in the possession of its hedge fund creditors, told the Treasury and the GM to hand over $350 million immediately, or because if you don't, we'll shut you down. <laughs> Jesus wow. Christ. Yeah, and again, this is 8,500 <laughs> jobs, 20,000 retirees losing 70% of their pensions. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, what frustrates me, uh, we talked about this a little bit, We've, we were essentially at a point where the arguments for capitalism are supposedly that this, you know, makes people, you know, richer and better off. But now what happens is, like, when you can't argue that, it becomes more important to defend the system of capitalism than it becomes actual human lives. Where it's like, they just have to argue that this creates some sort of value for the economy by going in and, uh, you know, basically taking hostages of, like, 20,000 employees' pensions and demanding that the Treasury give you, I think, about 12-some billion in uh, bailout money, public money, mm. is how they made their fucking money doing this. Yeah, but, Sean, resentment isn't a good moral principle. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's a good moral principle? Making money. <laughs> Not debasing paper currency. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting, though. The people that are uh, pro-capitalism will say that like all this stuff is just corruption, and that's going to happen State reg- regardless of what system you use. But I guess the question does stand, though, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Is, like, is there a system of capitalism where it exists where this type of corruption doesn't happen? Is that possible? I mean, it's it's kind of a big ranging question. Like my, uh, the way I've come around to this philosophically is, I think the first principle is that you can't have any voluntary transactions without guaranteeing people rights economically, which means everyone has the right to a house, everyone has the right to healthcare, everyone has the right to food, everyone has the right to a decent job. You know, like the job guarantee that I'm glad is gaining popularity. And people will say correctly that this is essentially social democracy, which is a form of capitalism. So I think the first step is you implement social democracy, which is what we have in the Scandinavian countries, where, you know, for all their flaws, in the case of um, Finland, there is no homelessness. They have no homeless people in Finland. It's still a capitalist country. It still has these kinds of exploitations, and there is still work to be done. 
But essentially, once you get to that first part, then you figure out the second part, which is worker control of the means of production, which means that these firms like Delphi will be owned by the actual workers instead of vulture hedge funds. Yeah. So basically, like it's it's hard to say that it's not going to happen in capitalism because by definition, essentially, capitalism is a uh, a process where someone owns money and then invests it to return more money. So you're always going to have that person who controls value. And so I, I that's... hope to, to punish uh, Andy. David Geffen removes Nirvana from all streaming services. <laughs> <laughs> Well, isn't it interesting how Singer, like Singer's story with the bailout, is mm. in, was end up being incredibly important for structuring the labor movement after that? Right, that was like the main rallying cry at Occupy, was oh, about yeah. how the banks got bailed out, like people got sold out. Right, right, right. And like this is like a quintessential example of that. Well, and again, we'll talk about this more on the Koch brothers episode. But Singer has been part of a class of billionaires who's really launched an assault on American history because we, I mentioned, you know, this these fundamental rights and this social democracy stuff. You know, FDR said this all in 1944. He said you have a right to a job from the government. He's uh, in the second. He called it the second bill of rights, the economic bill of rights. He is, you have the right to a house, you have the right to health care, et cetera, et cetera. And what the Koch brothers and Singer and other billionaires have really done is strip away this history and strip away the union history in America, which did have a very strong union scene. Uh, you know, at one point, more than 30% of private sector workers in America were unionized today, about 6.5% are. So, you know, unions have absolutely been destroyed in this country, and it's partly because of hedge fund deals like Delphi that... Uh, destroyed, you know, uh, 8,500 union jobs and destroyed 70% of the pensions for 20,000 employees, that it's been a sustained assault on uh, unions, both financially and ideologically, which actually is a good segue into the Paul E. Singer Foundation. Because if you read Paul Singer's um, Wikipedia, it notes him as a philanthropist. And I've noticed this with a lot of billionaires. They are called philanthropists because they set up a private foundation with no accountability, and then they wash that money by donating it to a um, list of conservative think tanks that uh, promote their bottom line interests. Um, and I just want to uh, talk a little bit about... You mean good investment? <laughs> yes. Uh, they do good investment. And the other thing, he's a signer, we've talked about this a bit, he's a signer of the Giving Pledge, which I think Bill Gates came up with, where mm -hmm. they give away half of their money. It's about uh, four people we've covered. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Gates, Buffett, uh, is Bezos and Musk in there or no? I'm not sure, actually. What Musk was. Right? Yeah, Gates and Buffett are in there. Musk might be in there. I think Musk is in there. Zuckerberg but, is? I think Zuckerberg Yeah, might Zuckerberg's be in, in there. Um, he's pledged to give more, but we'll see. But anyways, the point is, first off, 50% of your assets by the time you die, go fuck yourself. You have no <laughs> right to any of that money, you parasite scum. But second off, the giving pledge only says that um, they'll donate to uh, causes that they believe will better the world. So in the case of, um, what was that Greek billionaire who died, Steve? It yeah. is interesting how bootlickers will say like, oh, this person is so good they gave to this charity uh, that will better the world, whereas it's Peter oh, Peterson. Pete Peterson. Yeah. It's it's basically saying this person robbed Pretending people of Greek. their money, <laughs> exploited them out of their money, and then they get the sole decision on what it is that betters the world. Right, right. right. Okay. And yeah, so like in the case of uh, uh, Pete Peterson, who's a billionaire who died recently. Andy, make a pissing sound. <laughs> uh, yes. 
Anyways, burn in hell. But so Pete Peterson signed the giving pledge, and uh, I think it was worth somewhere in the range of about $3 billion. But he's been a big advocate for cutting the debt and the deficit, which, of course, means, you know, cutting food stamps for desperately poor people. Right. So he signed the giving pledge by donating half of his fortune to his own foundation. What does his own foundation do? It buys ads to warn uh, about how bad the deficit is. Oh, wow. And it lobbies members of Congress about how bad the deficit is. So it's like, <laughs> you know, in a, in a world with like uh, millions of people uh, in desperate shortage of food and water and all these other essentials, what do you think to do with your billion dollars? You uh, lobby for making the lives of poor people in the United States worse, <laughs> and you get called a fucking philanthropist for doing it. <laughs> and you get tax deductions. Right. It's ridiculous. Um, but so anyways, just to uh, tie this back to Paul Singer, uh, um, the website conservativetransparency.org uh, was able to look at... Um, uh, his foundation's donations for the year 2011 and 2012. Again, it's a private foundation. We don't really have public disclosures of what they're doing. The only legal requirement is they give at least 5% of their assets to a nonprofit every year. But, of course, you know, Cato Institute, Heritage Foundation, these lobbying groups for uh, the rich and billionaires are considered nonprofits. So uh, just to go through the top six donations of the Paul Singer Foundation, the charitable fund that makes him a philanthropist and gives him a tax cut. I mean, if there's a better uh, example for why nonprofit is an empty term, the NFL is a nonprofit. <laughs> uh, the number one, the Schwab Charitable Fund. Oh. Uh, and Charles Schwab is, of course, a, another conservative uh, billionaire, so we have no idea what he's doing with it. Number two, the American Israel Education Foundation got a $1.5 million. Number three, the Birthright Israel Foundation got $1.5 million. Uh, you know, paying for those sloppy BJs. Uh, Andy already made that joke. I'm sorry, people. HJs. Uh, uh, number four is the American Enterprise Institute for Public Policy Research. They got $1.2 million. This is a conservative lobbying organization. Number five, Donors Trust, conservative lobbying organization. This is the worst Letterman top ten list I've ever heard. <laughs> $1.15 million. And number six, the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research got 925000 Manhattan Institute for Policy Research, uh, he's actually the uh, chairman of the board of trustees of it. And if you haven't heard of uh, the Manhattan Policy uh, Institute, the Manhattan Institute, they are the ones who gave uh, uh, Mr. Charles Murray his original grant money and he used it to write a book called Losing Ground about how welfare makes poor people lazy, and then later wrote the book uh, The Bell Curve, which was a racist book about how um, differences uh, when stratified, difference between races when stratified by IQ means we should end all welfare and let poor people starve. Uh, and look, you might think I'm being unfair with that summary, but it's actually on the book jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so, yeah, like the point is essentially the tops and then you go through the list. There's a couple charities and then it's just Israel, Israel, Israel. Interestingly, he donates uh, a fair bit, donated a fair bit of money to the organization that we mentioned on the Howard Schultz episode that gave Howard Schultz that episode, that award. And they do their little war crime seminars. <laughs> uh, he gave some money to them uh, uh, and just a lot of other Israel organizations. That's his, his big issue is Israel, which is why, of course, he opposes the Iran deal and thinks we should bomb them Sean, a decade ago. I mean, you can judge, but have you ever had a small child throw a rock at you? 
Have you guys actually had someone throw a child throw a rock at you? A child has thrown a rock at me before. (laughs) It's very terrifying. Did you uh, send a cruise missile to their house? I threw a rock back, Steve. (laughs) What did you do to deserve the rock in the first place? I don't remember, but I it was in India. It was a long time ago, but I threw a rock back, but skipped on the ground. And when someone throws a rock at you and it whizzes by you and your rock skips, you're like, I lost this fight already. Well, Yogi, if Paul Singer had been supporting you, you would have been in a tank for that interaction. (laughs) 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 Um, All right. So I know we're kind of running low on time, but I think we've covered a lot of the the basic stuff. We mentioned also the way the tax code works. Um, Paul, the capital gains are charged at a lower tax rate than wages for some reason. I mean, I would argue corruption. But essentially, Paul Singer, when he makes money from his hedge fund, again, destroying pensions and uh, uh, killing people in the Congo, uh, he pays a lower rate than he would if he punched a clock. And then he can defer some interest payments uh, through the carried interest loophole, which allows him to defer Mm. tax payments. Yeah, Uh, like hedge fund managers make money in two ways. Usually they have, like, they take a percentage of the total assets under their management. Right, the two and And then they also take a percentage of the profits above some, like, quote, hurdle rate that mm-hmm. they have to pass. And so the carried interest part is, like, the second part of that, basically. Right. Where, it, like, instead of it being treated like a a bon- like a normal bonus that, like, a uh, just an employee in office or something gets, and having that taxed at your, whatever your marginal rate is, mm-hmm. it's taxed as, the, as if it were a capital gains. So I do want to just mention his corporate spying, because this comes from another uh, fortune piece. Uh, so two things. So he it goes, it goes into a hostile takeover of a company called Arconic. Um, basically, uh, they de- they uh, demanded the Arconic CEO resign, and then he wouldn't. So it set up a proxy fight, which proxy fights basically uh, hedge funds like Singer's. Um, they try to get their own people on the board to make their cuts to increase profitability. And sometimes they try to get these public companies to sell to private companies, which increases the uh, uh, shares that they already bought and own. Um, so basically, um, this Arconic uh, CEO sends Paul Singer a soccer ball, uh, and then he sends a note insinuating that Paul Singer had allegedly engaged in debauchery while attending the 2006 World Cup in Berlin, and this had a- included wearing Native American headgear and warbling singing in the rain in a public fountain. What? <laughs> he pledged to send Singer a feathered headdress next. And unfortunately for this hilarious stunt, <laughs> the CEO of Arconic was forced to resign. God. Um, but yeah, Paul Singer, the worst thing he did, cultural appropriation (laughs) (laughs) officially Um, a bad billionaire uh but so uh, and just uh part of the same article in fortune uh on at least uh, three occasions according to both court testimony and the accounts of seven people who spoke with fortune children of people facing the hedge funds attacks have been pulled into the fray in some way in an apparent bid to gain information or leverage against their parents um in an in an incident involving a uh, Arconic PR consultant in Germany, uh, neighbors of his children in London received visits from people asking them about drug abuse by them or their father. Um, Elliot declined to comment on the use of private investigators in its activist campaigns. So basically, the point is, like many billionaires, he hires private investigators to look into people that he is dealing with, that he is on the opposite ends of a hedge fund, of shareholder battles with. And uh, he goes after people's kids. Like, there's another story about um, a company called CompuWare. They flew out to meet with um, the hedge fund, 
and uh, one of uh, their employees um, started with a dose. He started by casually flipping through a six-inch-thick manila folder of purportedly embarrassing information on his guests and said something along the lines of, and you know, you have a daughter that's doing this, that, and whatnot. Uh, A person uh, was paraphrasing the fund fund manager during the meeting. I wonder why he's so obsessed with privacy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, you know, and just like, it's hard to trace Paul Singer because he makes it hard to trace Paul Singer. But again and again, just the most evil shit in the world. You see this guy's fingerprints all over. And yet the New York Times, the paper of record, brings him out as a genius investor instead of what he is, which is just a parasite on the legal system, a parasite who gets his way by lobbying Albany to change carried interest laws, to give himself a big bonus, to change uh, laws that prevent champerty. That is his entire strategy that was illegal until the fucking 90s. And it's just, I don't know, man. We're supposed to think these people are genius capitalists who create value. Bernie 2020. (laughs) Which Uh, Bernie? Madoff? Uh, the one that killed that widower uh, in the Jack Black movie. I think we mentioned it. Um, but uh, so Cory Booker, uh, Obama in 2012 was running a very populist campaign against Mitt Romney. And so he interviewed people that Romney's hedge fund, Bain Capital, had, you know, done the same strategy Paul Singer did where they go and buy it off, cut the pensions, lay off the workers, sell it again to make money. So they had a lot of attack ads against Romney where they interviewed these workers being like, yeah, they destroyed our lives. These people already have money. You know, what's wrong with them? And so Cory Booker, who was at this point on the payroll of Wall Street in 2012, went on Meet the Press to be like, Obama's attacks against the hedge fund industry are very unfair. These people create value for the American economy (laughs) and they make jobs and, and they, you know, suss out corruption or whatever else and it's just so funny that like now cory booker is like you know on the bernie train (laughs) he's on the job guarantee and we're gonna punish these people and uh you know it's like it's gonna be a fun primary season yeah Yeah. let's see where he's looking tomorrow on um on a tangent before we go i i just want to say that uh one of the things that's uh happening here with paul singer is uh it's very similar to the greek situation where which he was also involved in yeah which he was also involved in uh where you know creditors would basically sue to force greece to pay all its money and someone who had to deal with that uh is this economist Giannis varifakis who was the greek finance minister and i've been listening to his book on tape and it had this wonderful segment uh that i'm gonna play uh it's when he first becomes greek finance minister and uh he starts getting some phone calls the phone rang again Once again, the unknown number on the screen began with the U.S. dialing code. I picked up to hear a distant, gentle male voice, with what sounded like a New England accent. You do not know me, Mr. Varoufakis, but I felt the urge to call you to congratulate you on your election, and to lend all the support I can give. My name is Bernie Sanders, and I'm a senator from Vermont. (laughs) Mutual friends have given me your number. And I hope you do not mind the intrusion. (laughs) My favorite Bernie Sanders impression where he's a sinister Russian. (laughs) That's the real international Jewish conspiracy. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But yeah, so in the case of Greece, um, they uh, singer and another hedge fund owner uh, would not 
uh, go along with the uh, 80% haircut of the loan principle proposed by the European Central Bank. Uh, they wouldn't even uh, cut 8% value of the bonds they held. Uh, they demand it. Either the Greek government, this is from Greg Palast, pay several times what the speculators had invested, or they would undermine the entire bailout deal, bringing down the remnants of Greece's economy and uh, Europe with it. Uh, held hostage, the Greek government dipped into emptying its purse and paid them every penny they demanded. But interestingly enough, when they issued future bonds, uh, the Greek government was careful because of Singer and said, uh, and uh, these bonds cannot go to repaying creditors like Paul Singer. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know. Uh, master Vulture, Master Parasite, and uh, the Koreans, not anti-Semitic people. Uh-uh. <laughs> And uh, before we go, I want to give a shout out to Andy Miller, who is uh, the only listener who's playing the uh, market wa- or the market game with us on the app uh, Best Brokers. And currently on our leaderboard, Andy Miller has negative forty four percent on his investments, uh, which is impressive. Like he would be Andy, you would be a great short seller. This is. Uh, he went from 25K to 14K in a matter of weeks. He should have filed his lawsuits in different courtrooms. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, uh, do we have a verdict on Paul? Uh, what, what, the only what, good billionaire. <laughs> what grade would you guys give him? Huh? What's your scale? I think I'd give him an ME out of meatloaf. I think that's appropriate. Uh, he's a family man. He mm. supports his gay son. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's weird how him being pro-gay people is odd once you learn everything about him. It's like, oh, he it seems like he'd hate gay people for no real reason because of his corruption. Yeah. It's interesting how um, a self-interested man acts in a self-interested <laughs> manner. <laughs> and on that, thank you for listening to Grubstakers. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Yogi Paywall. Uh, I'm Sean McCarthy. Steve Jeffries. All right. We'll see you next week for the Coke Bros.
Come with it now! <laughs> 